Months ago, I had a friend who we went out to eat, and he asked me a, a question that kind of caught me off guard. We're just sitting there talking about church, talking about the renovation and all kinds of things, and, and he said, let me ask you a question. He said, what's going to be different about our church after those eight weeks? He said, are we just going to renovate the sanctuary and then go back to the same old church? Anything going to change during those eight weeks? Now you need to understand, he was not being critical. He loves our church. He's a dear friend of mine. He loves his pastor. He was simply asking if we might use those eight weeks in a strategic way. Is it possible that we could do more than renovate a sanctuary? Is it possible we could use those eight weeks in a strategic way? And so I told him that I'd already planned a series to preach during that renovation called My Makeover. And I told him, I said, really my prayer is this, that we'll do more than renovate a sanctuary, but that I've I've been praying that God would renovate us during those eight weeks. But I've got to be honest with you, his question has been ringing in my head for two months. What's going to be different about our church after eight weeks? Are we going to just renovate the sanctuary and then come back to the same old church? That's been ringing in my head for a couple of months now. Here's the way I would like to answer his question today. During those eight weeks, I hope we build some altars. When the old, in the Old Testament, when people of God built an altar in the Old Testament days, it marked a significant place and a significant time in that person's life. See, altars were not randomly built. Altars were not casually built. The altar is where God made alterations in people's lives. An altar is a serious and a sacred place. Because it marks the place where we do business with God. Over the next eight weeks, you're going to have the chance. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I'm going to prophesy here for you. Over the next eight weeks, you're going to have a chance to be aggravated, agitated, and frustrated. And Satan will give you many opportunities to do those three things. The devil will do everything that he can to make you uncomfortable. Because next, starting next week, it will be different. You will, some of you have to park in a different place. Hadn't even thought about that yet, have you? But some of you have to park in a different place. You're going to have to walk in a different place, to a different place. And for some of you, it'll be a much longer walk than what you're used to. And when you get in there, you're going to have problems finding a seat. And when you do find a seat, it's going to be crowded. And, and you're not going to be able to sit where you normally sit because you're going to be in a gym. And, and there's going to be a band in there, for goodness sake. And for some of you, it's just going to be too much. You'll have all the kinds of opportunities to be aggravated and agitated and frustrated. That's what it could be. Or it could be something else. Over the next eight eight weeks, it could be a time where we meet with God and God meets with us. This could be the time and the place where we do business with God. And it leaves an imprint on our soul. I don't know if you've 
taking me pictures lately, but when you take a picture, you know, in today's time, you don't even need the, the traditional camera. Uh, you've got one with you, right? Yeah. And, and if you've got your phone set up correctly, I'm just going to go ahead and take one right here. Last day in the sanctuary, 2016. Everybody smile. Everybody smile. You ready? One, two, three. Now I'm going to take another one. My wife's eyes were closed. <laughs> They're always closed when we take a picture of her. But if you've got your phone set up right, sometimes you can set up your phone so that when you take that picture, there'll be a, a date and a time. And if you've got the GPS set up on it, even the place stamped on the photograph. So that weeks, months, years later, you can go back to that experience and look at it again and see not only the picture, but to see the date and the time and the place where that event occurred. Altars are like that. Altars imprint our soul. Altars are those times when we can go back to that date, to that time, to that place where we met God and God met us. There's a man in the Old Testament named Abram. And he made several altars in his walk with God. I've been intrigued as I've studied his life this week. That Abram, as he walked with God throughout his life, he made an altar at different places and at different times. And each time he made a, each time he had a, a memorable spiritual experience with God, he made an altar. Someone said that you can trace Abram's life by the altars he left behind. First time we, we, we read about Abram building an altar is in Genesis chapter 12. Would you open God's word to the book of Genesis chapter 12? <clears throat> in the last service I went long, so you guys are going to have to listen quick today. Listen fast. Genesis chapter 12, <clears throat> beginning of verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land, I will show you. God said, I've got a land for you, I've got a place for you that I want to put you. He says in verse 2, and I'll make you, a great, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Canaan, by the way, was a pagan land. It was not a godly place. It's the land we would call Israel today, but before Abram got there, it was a very, very pagan place. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. That is, the land he was standing on, the land he had walked through, the land he had come to. 
God said, look at it again. The Lord appeared to Abram. Notice that. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, notice this, To your offspring I will give this land. And then we read these words. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Many of the altars in the Old Testament were built for sacrificial purposes. In fact, you might even say a majority of the altars built in the Old Testament were for sacrificial purposes, but this one was not. This altar was built to be a memorial. This altar was built to mark the time and the place when the Lord appeared to him. It was such a significant event in Abram's life as it would be in your life. Not only that the Lord appeared to him, but the Lord promised to him, I'm going to give your descendants this land. And so when Abram thought about all that God just promised him and that the Lord had met with him there, Abram built an altar. It marked the spot where he had a memorable spiritual experience with God. Do you have a place like that? I'm not asking you if you have a pile of stones somewhere. But I'm asking you, can you look back to a time and to a place? Can you point back? Could you take me back to a place? Could you point to a particular place? Maybe a certain building. Maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it was in a church. Maybe it's in your bedroom. Uh, Maybe it was at your office when you closed the door. Maybe it was in a park. But has there been any certain places in your life where you can point to it and say, I'm going to tell you something. There was a particular day and a particular time. God met me right here. I want you to have those kind of experiences. I want you to have to know those kind of moments. And I pray that over the next eight weeks, God meets with you in a personal and private and powerful way. So here's the first lesson. I'm going to give you five, four or five of them. Here's the first lesson to write down. Altars in our lives mark the place where God met with us. It's one of the purposes. Altars in our lives mark the place where God met with us. Now the second time that Abram built an altar is found in the next two verses. Again, in Genesis chapter 12, this time reading in verse 8, it says, From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Warren Wiersbe said, wherever Abram went in the land of Canaan, it was marked by two things. It was marked by his tent and by his altar. He said that the tent showed that he was separate from the people of Canaan. The tent showed that he was a sojourner. He was not part of them. This was not his permanent home. And the tent marked that he was not part of them. It, it marked that he was separated from the people of Canaan. But the altar marked that he was devoted to the Lord his God. That he was not worshiping the gods of Canaan. He was not worshiping those false deities. But he was worshiping the Lord his God. So wherever he went, his life was marked by his tent and by his altar. But I also want you to notice where he went the second time when he builds an altar. I want you to look at the text. 
biblical names have significant meanings sometimes, and this certainly does. He went to build, uh, to pitch his tent and to build an altar. The Bible says in verse 8, from there he went towards the hills of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. The name Bethel literally means in the Hebrew language, the house of God. The name I means ruins. Abram pitched his tent between the ruins of I and the house of God, Bethel. Symbolically, I believe, showing that Abram was going to be the bridge between a broken world and the house of God. And it was there that he built this second altar. Because not only would Abram be a bridge between the lostness and the brokenness of this world, the ruins of the world, and the house of God, not only would Abram be a bridge, but ultimately his descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be the ultimate bridge between the ruins of the world and the house of God. And in this strategic and symbolic place, Abraham built another altar. But it's interesting to me, the purpose of this altar was different. The first altar he built was to memorialize the place where God met him, the place where God spoke to him. The second altar was different. Did you notice the difference in the writing? It says in in verse 8, There he built an altar to the Lord, and here's the different part, and called on the name of the Lord. The purpose of the first altar was to be a memorial to mark the place where God spoke to him. But when he made this second altar, it was for the purpose that he needed to speak to God. We're not sure why he needed to do that. Not exactly sure what he needed to pray about. What was so significant in his life? What was so challenging in his heart that he needed to build this altar? We're not sure what he, what he prayed about. But there was something so significant, watch this, there was something so significant about that time in his life. He needed to talk to God. And so he began to pick up stones. And he began to place them together. And he made an altar so that he could call on the name of the Lord his God. Here's the second lesson I want you to write down. Altars mark the place where we call out to God. See if you agree with this statement. Not all prayers are the same. Would you agree with that? Not all prayers are the same. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes you pray, but then at other times, you pray. Right? Sometimes you say your prayer, and sometimes you call out to God. I could take you today to a place in Johnson City, Tennessee, Johnson City Memorial, uh, Johnson City Medical Center. I could take you to a place approximately in the parking lot for one day in the afternoon by myself. I knelt in the parking lot and I made an altar to God and I cried out to God on behalf of my dad who was lying in the hospital and we weren't sure if he was going to live. And I had to get out of the room. I had to get away by myself and I remember very vividly that, that day on my knees, crying out and praying in a way that I, I have prayed very few times I've ever prayed like that. That was my altar. That was my place where I did more than just say a prayer. That was my place where I cried out to God. 
Abram did that as well. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to pile up a big pile of stones somewhere. I'm not suggesting that you go to your house and, and you put a big pile of stones in your yard. I'm not suggesting you go to your office and put a big pile of stones in the, in the office and they try to open the door and it keeps bang, banging against the stones. I'm not saying that you need to do that at all. Because listen, we need to read this Old Testament from a New Testament perspective. And I want you to know something. We don't need the altar anymore because Jesus Christ was our ultimate sacrifice. And because He opened a way to God, He established a new covenant between us and God. And now we can go boldly to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of needs. So we don't need a pile of stones anymore. But listen to me, church. We still need the God of Abraham. We still need to call out to that God like Abraham did. Maybe you're going to need over the next eight weeks sometime, somewhere, someplace to kneel in prayer and make an altar because of something you're facing, something you're struggling with, something you're dealing with. Maybe somewhere over the next eight weeks you will kneel in prayer and make an altar. Now this is where the story of Abram takes an interesting and unexpected turn. Beginning in verse 9, let's see what happens. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. The Negev is, is a place in southern Israel. It's down near the Dead Sea. Uh, before you get to Egypt, it's a deserted, awful place. Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. And it says in verse 10, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Now remember what God promised Abram. I'm going to take you to this land. And I'm going to bless you and your descendants in this land. And instead of remaining in that land in the time of famine and trusting the Lord to help them, Abram, that says in verse 10, went down to Egypt. In the Bible, Egypt is a symbol of the world system and its bondage. God brought His people out of bondage. He brought His people out of Egypt. In, in the Bible, Egypt is always a symbol of the world system and its bondage. Israel, on the other hand, is a symbol of God's blessings. I will bless you, He said, and bless others through you. So, it's interesting to me that geographically as well as spiritually, when God's people in what we would call Israel today, when, when God's people in that land went to Jerusalem, they always went up to Jerusalem, and when they went to Egypt, they always went down to Egypt. Now, that's geographically true, but it's also, I think, symbolically true. You see, spiritually speaking, when someone would go down to Egypt, especially in this situation, when Abram went down to Egypt, it means that he was doubting God's promise of provision, and he was running to the world for help. He was running to Egypt. He was running to the world to meet his needs. Here's what I want you to understand. Abram left his altar. And when you leave your altar, your life will unravel. And you'll end up in places experiencing things you never dreamed of. Let me summarize it for you. Skip down to verse 11. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, beginning in verse 11, 
Abram, as he goes down to Egypt, on the way to Egypt, he begins to think, I am really married to a beautiful lady. Now, now guys, this is Valentine's Day. Word to, word to help you here. This would be a good time for you to tell your wife, you're a beautiful woman. You don't have to do it right now. You don't have to do it right now. Just remember after service, you know, just, honey, you're a beautiful woman. Abram was married to a beautiful woman. In fact, as he was traveling to Egypt, he, would, he began to think, Sarah is, she is sharp. She is beautiful. And he began to realize, once we get into Egypt, Pharaoh can have anything he wants. And if he gets word of my wife, if he gets to see my wife, he won't think twice about killing me to have her. And so he concocted a plan. Now remember, he's left his altar. He concocted a plan. He said to, his, to Sarah, his wife, he said, when we get down there, I want you to tell people that you are my sister. Because he won't kill me if you're my sister. But if you tell them that, that I'm your husband, he'll kill me so that he can have you. Is that twisted or what? I mean, that is twisted thinking. That's exactly what happens. He goes to, he goes to Egypt People get word, uh, boy, there's a, there's a sharp-looking lady right over there. And Pharaoh's men find out about it. They go check her out and say, boy, you're right about that. We need to tell Pharaoh. He's going to be interested in her. Pharaoh gets word of it. He says, bring her here. I want to see her. And they brought her to Pharaoh. And he says, I'm going to take her to be my wife. I know that sounds strange, but you ought to read your Bible. It's, it's right there. It's interesting sometimes. Verse 17, chapter 12. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. You see that word over and over. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way and with his wife and everything that he had. You know, life gets complicated when we walk away from our altar, doesn't it? Life gets complicated when we pursue other things other than God. Life gets twisted when we go turn to other things to find fulfillment. Eventually, when he left Egypt, it's very, very interesting where Abram went. He could have gone anywhere. But it's, it's extremely interesting where he went when he left Egypt. Look in chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev. He's heading back home. With his wife and everything that he had and a lot with him. Skip down to verse 3. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to where? To Bethel. Till he came to Bethel. To the place between Bethel and I where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. If you have disobeyed God, go back to the place where you left Him and make things right. Someone said the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. 
that's not an excuse for sin. It is an encouragement for repentance. So let me give you the third lesson from the altars of Abraham. Lesson number three. Altars mark the place where we come back to God. They do mark the place where we call out to God. But altars also mark the place where we come back to God. I'm praying that we will do that over the next eight weeks. I'm praying that I believe that when Abram called out to the Lord, when he went back to, to Bethel and he went back to that altar, I believe when he, the Bible says he called out to the Lord, I sincerely believe he was crying out for forgiveness. He was crying out for the twisted things that he had done. He was coming back to his altar. He was coming back to his God. His heart was back, not just his body. He was, he was returning to that place where he had met God previously. Now because of that, this, this is where it gets really good. Because of that, when God saw that he came back, God blessed him. He blessed him in a way he did not deserve. Has anybody here ever experienced God's undeserved blessings? After a time of disobedience, when you come back to God, after a time of wandering, when you come back to God, God sometimes graciously, generously blesses you in ways you do not deserve. Look at what happened. This Only God would do this. Chapter 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after he had come back, after he had repented, after he had cried out to God again, Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west and all the land that, I, that you see I will give. And look what he says, I will give, what's those next two words? I'll give to you. Go back to verse 7. Look what he said in verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. But now, after he comes back to the Lord, this time he says, I will give this land to you and to your offspring forever. And I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Not just to your offspring. But now, Abram, I'm giving it to you. Look what Abram did. Verse 18. So Abram moved his tents and he went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar to the Lord. Here's the, fourth, the third lesson. Or fourth lesson. Altars mark the place of God's blessings. Isn't it interesting? Two different places in this text. Abram goes once at Shechem and the next time at Hebron. He goes to the place, it says, where there's this great tree. You know what that's all about? In the days of the Old Testament, the pagans would often worship uh, their false gods at these, these significant trees. I, I love trees. I, I, I could take you today to what I call my tree. And it's on the frontage row between here and 85. I got, I've taken 25 pictures of my tree over the years. Because I just love that tree. There's just something majestic about trees. But there's something else about the majesty of trees. Watch this. Trees always reach towards heaven. 
So even the pagans understood this would be a place to worship our God. This would be a good place for us to go before our God. And so even the pagans were worshiping what they called God under the trees. And so Abram, when he got to Hebron, verse 18, so Abram moved his tent and he went to live near the great trees of Mamre in Hebron where he did what he had done in the past. He built an altar to the Lord. I believe it was an altar to signify God's blessings, His undeserved blessings in His life. But there was still one more altar to build. It would be the hardest altar of all. And many times after God's blessings, you will experience God's testing. And so we fast forward the story of Abram to chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Sometime later, God tested him. And He said to him, Abraham, here I am, He replied. And then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Now there's so much background material I wish we could cover here. Where for years and years and years he wanted a son. And for years and years and years he argued with God. How are you going to bless my descendants and give me my descendants all of these things? I don't even have one child. And eventually at an old age he had a son. And they named him Isaac. And now God says something that, that doesn't make sense. Take your son, your only son Isaac whom you love. And go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And verse 4, And on the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. And he saw in his, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? This is where I would say, come on, son, we're going home. Come on. I can't take this. Come on, come on. Let's, maybe I didn't hear God right. Come on. Let's go back down the mountain. That's not what Abram did. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now don't miss verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, look at these words. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I've often marveled that Abram could take his son, his only son, whom he loved, and sacrifice him. I've often wondered how any father could do that. But it occurred to me as I was studying this text 
This was not the first altar he had built. This was not the first altar he had built. And the previous altars made this altar possible. All the other altars he had built prepared him for this altar. Here's the fifth lesson I want you to write down. Altars mark the place where we surrender everything to God. Have you come to that place in your life where you're willing to say, the Lord will provide? Have you come to that place of absolute surrender? Have you been willing to make that altar? You see, God wanted to know which Abram loved more. The blessings of God or the God of the blessings? Can I tell you something? Those altars are difficult to build because they require more than stones. They require faith. They require a lot of faith. I remember one night on the campus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary where I built an altar as I wrestled with a major decision. No one else was there. Lisa was not there. I didn't know anybody else in the city. I was just on the campus uh, for a brief time to uh, kind of an introductory thing to the doctoral program. I was there by myself. I found out some news that day that totally changed my plans. And I wrestled with what I should do. And I knew I didn't have the money for what I I was thinking God wanted me to do. And here's what I did, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm not trying to be dramatic, but I'm telling you, it is as vivid today as it was that night. That night, I sat in my room, on my bed, in the dark, all alone, And I made an altar. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I worried, and I prayed, and I worried, and I prayed, and I just spent time with God that night for hours. Alone in the dark. Until finally, until finally I came to the point where I said, I surrender. And after I built that altar, I found out that the Lord will provide. But those altars are hard to build because you don't build them with stones, you build them with faith. Don't you know that when Abraham was building that altar, reason was screaming in his head, What are you doing? Don't you know that as he he was picking up each stone, he was thinking, this doesn't make any sense. But he was not just building an altar out of stones. He was building an altar in faith. So he said to his son, the Lord will provide. I want to finish by asking you to read carefully these last verses. Verse 10. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. 
Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. I need to read the next verse, verse 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Altars mark significant events, significant times in our lives. Altars mark that time and that place where we meet with God and God meets with us. Wouldn't it be amazing if at the end of eight weeks or ten weeks, however long it is, wouldn't it be amazing that when we come back into this sanctuary and and we'll be talking about how beautiful it is, wouldn't it be amazing that we could say, I want to tell you something, the best thing about this renovation is that He changed me. The best thing about this renovation is not how pretty the sanctuary is, but it was a day. There was a place. There was a time during these eight weeks where I met with God. And my life is different. And my life is better because He changed me. Altars sometimes need to be built. Would you pray with me? I know the hour is late, but we're going to have this time of invitation to allow you to perhaps come to this altar one more time. Maybe it's this time, this place where you kneel And make an altar to the Lord about something you're facing. Or maybe at this time, this place, you come and kneel to thank the Lord for His many blessings in this place. Maybe at this time, at this place, you kneel and make an altar and say, God, I surrender everything. How about if we don't wait for the next eight weeks? How about if we start today? making an altar, kneeling before the Lord our God, recognizing, recognizing that He meets us in our places of greatest need. Father, in the name of Jesus, may You be honored and glorified in it all. Amen.